Hey, Sandy, look, I've been baking. I'm not sure I've totally nailed it. I mean, I put them in the oven and completely forgot about them. That's brilliant. Is it? Yeah, it's the theme of the week, forgotten bakes. <gasps> Sometimes it's like I'm working on a psychic level. Yeah, that's certainly one explanation. I've got to go. I've left the bath running. Hello, everyone, and welcome to something. Something? Well, it could be the Bloke and the Bird show, but we, you know, we had forgotten bakes, and maybe this bake should have been forgotten. Um... <laughs> I really want to forget this bake, but I think that it was epic enough that it's going to live for a little while longer. It looked good. It's, even you looked at the rest of me and you're like, wow, this, this could be really good. It could have been really good until there were missing pieces to the recipe that were probably key factors. Well, you know, it was Marcus Samuelson's attempt at a technical, challenge, technical bake. Well, yes, but I think... If I read it correctly, I don't think he wrote the recipe. I think he had his pastry chef write the recipe. Badly. And it's it's missing some key elements. As we have learned, there is an art to recipe writing. Very important stuff. In, in another podcast, we're, we're not going to go into it, but we did, um, one of the other shows that we tend to listen to had a recipe expert on and explained how they rate recipes as good and bad and and found that many celebrity chefs, um, their recipes are pretty bad. Yes. It's not that the food that they make is necessarily bad, but the instructions may not be written well. They may call for additional pieces of cookware that, you know, if they streamline their recipe, they wouldn't need, or just, you know, it doesn't work as well as you'd have thought. And I think some of that is, and I think this was called out in the, in the thing was, it's not translated for the home cook. Yeah. So there's some assumptions that people would just get if you were in it every day. But I'm not in it every day. And, and don't have a giant commercial steam kettle. And I do not have a giant <laughs> commercial steam kettle. So, you know, not that I needed it for the princess cake that really does not even rate a, minor, a minor duchessy. It, it, it was bad. It, it hit the bin. Though you did eat a couple of bites of it. I, I did have a couple of bites of it. It, it was okay. It, it was not great. Um, We've had better cakes. Possibly this could have been... You know what, what, what this was on the level of? Nailed it from Netflix? One of Henry VIII's wives. Beheaded? <laughs> <laughs> it was beheaded? <laughs> or did it just die? So anyway, due to that bake, we, we had a bake that was voted out of the tent. We will go to the better news. And yes, we meant to do a show last week. But better news that Formula One was back this weekend. And it was a pretty good race. It really was. I settled in at one point thinking, okay, we've got the, the grid and it's all settled. And then it was, whoa, what? <laughs> for, 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 you know... A race that ended with 11 cars finished. Almost okay. half the grid gone. That was wild. I have <clears> not <throat> seen a grid disappear that fast and that much in a long time. Well, the, the closest was Hockenheim last year. Mm-hmm. And that was rain. Yeah, this was beautiful weather and we still had an incredible level of attrition. But before we get to that, we have a bunch of other stuff that we have to talk to. Well, I should apologize. About. Okay. It's my fault we did not have a, uh, a show last week. 
Yeah. So it's my fault that you're probably going to have to sit through a double show this week. Um, but I, I think we've got good stuff to talk about. Well, let's keep it moving to make it exciting and interesting for everyone. So I think we start off with a really, actually, I thought it was going to be kind of a lame filler story, but it's actually kind of interesting. And how the change to being remote and, and using Zoom for the team principals meetings with the FIA has changed how Formula One does business and how they interact. Okay. So Claire Williams actually really highlighted this. You know, she talks about how she is the only woman who ever attends any of these meetings, especially now that Manisha is gone, and we're, we're happy with that. Yeah. But she's in, in, invariably the only woman who ever attends any of these meetings. She says she can count the num- count the number of men there are in a room, and she's normally in a room with 30 men and her, so she can never get a word in edgewise at those meetings. However, the way the rules work in these Zoom teleconferences is that um, – you raise your hand. You get recognized by Nicholas Tombasis from the FIA. He chairs the meetings, and no one speaks unless your hand is raised. So if you speak over somebody, you get muted. Oh, nice. Which means folks like Claire has a, have a voice in these meetings. Well, that's really, a, I mean, talk about a positive spin on a change mm-hmm. there. So she says that, she actually gets to talk in these meetings now because everyone has to listen when you raise your hand when it's your turn. You can't keep talking or trying to get a word in edgewise like in a normal meeting. Um, now, a reminder, the last time F1 had in-person meetings with the team principals was in a hotel in Melbourne before everything got shut down. <laughs> um, she says that the meetings, you know, with this new format and all this, and there's a lot of big stuff that they have talked about over the last couple of months in these meetings. You know, the new aer- aerodynamic handicap system, the budget cap, the new regulations for, for 2022 now. All of that stuff has been discussed in these meetings. She says it's been really productive. It's been incredi- really incredibly responsible for the future of the sport and ensuring that they put exactly what needs to be put in places in place so teams have a few a strong future in the sport. Um, even Gunther Steiner says, you know, y- you have a lot more of a voice. You get to participate, just like like Claire was saying. But they've also noticed, um, and and this is something that maybe they couldn't get away with in the in person meetings, is that some of the team principals do seem to be keeping side channels of communications open during the meetings. Hmm. Um, and and they, they've seen a few times that, you know, somebody who is clearly looking down while on camera, um, and it appears that there may be some side text. Actually, the, the thought is that it's probably WhatsApp. Mm. that some of the team principals are running private WhatsApp conversations either between each other or between the teams or between their management or whatever, which is not something that they were able to get away with before. Well, yeah, but it depends on what the, I mean, if it's Toto texting Susie what's what's for dinner that night, I mean, come on. Um, but it also could be, you know, sometimes those text messages that come in through a Zoom meeting are actually helpful for the, the meeting itself. I know in my own world, 
um, sometimes a text message will pop up while I'm in a meeting or you clarifying something. Hey, did I hear what they just said? Is that going to be a problem? And before you step out and say, hey, I think that's going to be an issue, you'd verify. Maybe there's some well, verification that's going on. There, there's some of that. There's some other things that are happening too. Well, keep in mind that, you know, just like every other Zoom teleconference that you've ever been in, really you're only seeing from about the torso up. So pants are optional. Yeah. <laughs> so Claire, Claire says that uh, she's not telling who's in her text chat, but we definitely have a few who we message between what's going on. You do kind of think, how do I get up to go for a bathroom break here without people realizing I just disappeared? I can't work out how to mute the camera or whatever. You can sit there with a blanket on your lap. So I sit there with a nice shirt on like everyone is doing, looking really smart. And then I've got a blanket on my, on my lap. And I've got all my, slack, my snacks to my side. So it's great. <laughs> <laughs> we got to teach her how to hide the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Potty breaks are required. We got to teach her. Claire, call us. We're like masters at this by this point. So... We, we can't avoid, and originally I, I wasn't going to go into this topic. I, I um, figured it was, it was not somewhere that we needed to, to head down, but we really can't avoid it now. And that is um, the issues around race and the actions that Formula One is taking in particular. Okay. Um, so really where stuff started to, to bubble was... Lewis Hamilton, as um, I would have expected, because he, he, rightly so, feels very strongly about the topic. Um, he's actively voiced support for the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, he's taking some heat for it from some corners, and he's gotten a lot of support in a lot of other corners on it. Um, but a story came out about two weeks ago claiming that Red Bull Motorsports advisor Helmut Marko had said that he believed that Lewis's support of the Black Lives Matter campaign was distracting him, distracting Lewis from his F1 focus. Now, as you can imagine, this ticked off Lewis a lot. <laughs> and Lewis rapidly took to his social media feeds to condemn Helmet and to express his frustration over how people were handling this and, and the general attitudes and you know, at, at all of the disbelief, disbelief and upset that you would expect to come from comments like this. There was a problem, though. It turns out, Helmet never said this. The entire story was a fake. So, Lewis reacted. And Lewis had no reason to think that this wasn't a legitimate story. But Lewis reacted, and somehow, somewhere along this chain of timeline, and I don't know if it's whether it was in response to the story coming out or the fact that Lewis had reacted and reacted as strongly as he did, but it caught the notice of the press folks over at Red Bull. And Red Bull went to Helmet, the, the, the press officer at, at Red Bull went to Helmet and said, did you really say this? And Helmet, I don't know anything about this. I didn't, didn't have this didn't give this interview. According to the article, these comments were made on the German broadcaster RTL. He said, I haven't had a meeting with RTL in weeks. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where this, I didn't say this. 
So Red Bull went to RTL and said, on this day, because they had, according to the article, there was a date there. Did Helmet come speak to you? In the last couple of weeks, has Helmet spoke? Has he made it? Check your art. Has, has there been any of these comments? And RTL said, nope. Oh, we no. can't find any indication. We don't know what this is. We don't know where this came from. So then everybody reached out to Lewis, starting with um, with Christian Horner on down, reaching out to Lewis and going, um, yeah, RTL saying this story doesn't exist. We don't know what this is. We don't know. What... Helmet never said this. And there were apologies that went. Now, we don't know all the things that were said to Lewis. We do know Lewis pulled all the posts down. Um, we do know that, that Red Bull apologized and Helmet Marco has apologized and everyone seems to be in good shape. But it sounds like this was a fake news story that mm. caught traction because it was Helmet's name. Oh, wow. Now, I got to give, you know, you told me this is in our prep and mm-hmm. I was, I'm like, I, I don't know, I don't know if I'm even uniquely qualified to comment on it at all. And then as you're retelling it again, I have to commend Lewis for this one in a lot of ways. One, I know he's incredibly passionate. It's not just a passionate thing. It's a personal thing for him. And he's he personifies just a lot of dignity. Mm-hmm. And I don't fault him for having a passionate response to something that is so incredibly personal. Um. And if somebody came to me and said this thing that you really believe in and you you believe is absolutely the right thing to do and somebody that you have some level of respect for has said something about it that is disparaging, I couldn't tell you that I would have reacted any differently than Lewis except I wouldn't have the social media following that he has. Mm -hmm. But where I give him so much credit is he he allowed the apology yeah he's he he went back and said okay you guys have done all the due diligence to do ultimately what was damage control only to find out that it was a fake story to start with then let me do my side of this and pull it down and say okay fake story then i don't have a reaction Mm -hmm. and it's it's not the well it might have been a fake story but my reaction's real and that he could have double downed on it, and he didn't. And I have said for a very long time that I have think that one of the reasons I'm a huge Lewis fan is the man is walking class in so very many ways. And I think that just epitomizes that. Well, it, it's one of the things that you realize is you hear folks talk about their interactions with Lewis, especially in challenging situations like this, is... He really has an amazing level of emotional intelligence. More than I would expect a racing, your average racing driver, well, more than I would expect, honestly, your average person to have, let alone a racing driver. Yeah. Um, And I think you're right. I think his emotional intelligence, his self-awareness is phenomenal. Um, And honestly, I think it's... (laughs) It, it, it's it's him, but it's a credit to who raised him, and it's a credit to the people he surrounds himself with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've always been impressed by that. And, and it's not just this topic, but it's the other topics. He is he's very aware of who Lewis is. Um, and I, 
I give him a lot of credit for that. But I, I, I respect the fact that he allowed somebody to be able to say, I, this wasn't real, and thus I don't deserve the the, yeah. the lashing out. And, you know, I think the, the apologies wind up going way, both ways, you know. If it's not based in reality, I'm sure that Lewis was like, I'm sorry I eviscerated you. I'll pull it down. <laughs> now, back on the 21st, Lewis published a column in uh, the Sunday Times um, talking about the, the, the prejudice that he's experienced mm. in his years in motorsports. He said, you know, I saw people I respected choosing to say nothing and it broke my heart. It's why I had to speak out. Um, he said some of the things that he's dealt with is from kids throwing things at me while karting to being taunted by fans in blackface at a 2007 Grand Prix. Um, he said he's used to the idea that no one will speak up for me when I face racism because no one personally feels or understands my experience. Wow. Now, he's taking action. Mm-hmm. Um, he has stood up a commission that is intended to improve diversity within motorsports. It's a research partnership um, that... it both from a technical perspective, it's not just looking at bringing in drivers who are more diverse, but it's all aspects of motorsport from the engineers and the the mechanics and the team personnel and the leadership, all of that stuff, that's what he's trying to do. Uh, it's called the Hamilton Commission, and it's in partnership with the Royal Academy of Engineering. That's very cool. So... That's what Lewis is doing and what Lewis is trying. Now we have comments that were real. So CNN, in response to what had been happening and Lewis's actions and his posts and his starting up the commission, went to find the troll under the bridge. You know, somebody should like delete his phone number from all of the press. 89-year-old Bernie Eccleston, who, by the way, is a father again. Within now, the last two weeks. No, let's not think about that, please. <laughs> there are so, some things that are... Ugh. So CNN reached out to Bernie for his comments on the situation mm-hmm. and what was happening and the, the actions that Lewis was doing. And Bernie said that uh, while... Lewis's campaign was wonderful. He did not think it's going to do anything bad or good for Formula One. That was the, that was the easy part. That was <laughs> the tame part. He then went on to say that in lots of cases, black people are more racist than what white people are. He also condemned the removing of statues of slave traders such as Edward Colson in Bristol during protests. Oh my. So... Friday night, the, the, the day after this interview aired, um, Formula One released a statement that in short said, Bernie who? <laughs> who's, who? Who's this guy again? Why don't you call him? They said, at a time when unity is needed to tackle racism and inequality, we completely disagree with Bernie Eccleston's comments that have no place in Formula One or society. Mr. Eccleston has played no role in Formula One since he left our organization in 2017. His title, Chairman Emeritus, 
being honorific, expired in January 2020. I, I thought the whole emeritus thing was like, it doesn't expire. Oh, but this one did. Apparently and you knew, it does. <laughs> and you knew that any smart person would have given him that title with an expiration date because it was impossible for him to keep his mouth shut with any skill. Um, wow. Um, please tell me that Lewis eviscerated Bernie like he like he took he just deleted helmet marco's name out and put in bernie's name and eviscerated him no i think he was probably nicer in his response to helmet oh so he started lewis started his response with damn i just don't even know where to start with this one Lewis went on to say, Bernie is out of the sport in a different generation, but this is exactly what is wrong. Ignorant and uneducated comments which show us how far we as a society need to go before real equality can happen. And here's the kicker. It makes complete sense to me now that nothing was said or done to make our sport more diverse or to address the race, racial abuse I received throughout my career. If someone who has run the sport for decades has such a lack of understanding of the deep-rooted issues we as black people deal with every day, how can we expect all the people who work under him to understand? It starts at the top. Class, I gotta tell you. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's not all that, that, that has happened on this topic. So Formula One has launched the We Races One campaign to promote diversity. Um, and you'll notice if you watch the race this weekend, the logo for it, which is this, it's kind of, it's not really a rainbow because it's a lot more colors than a rainbow. It's, actually, it's based on a rainbow. It's based on a rainbow, but if you look at it, it's the combination of the uh, rainbow. There's the trans flag in there. There's, uh, It's all the colors of the various movements that are promoting <coughs> diversities. Um, if you kind of look at it, you can pick it apart yeah. and see that. But yes, it is the arc of a rainbow with multiple different colors in it. See, see the challenge I have is every time I look at this logo, I see that pink and I say, oh, it's Racing Point's colors. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know it's not, but that pink is the same pink as on those cars. I'm trying to figure out, like, why they chose the colors that they did. And I'm actually wondering if it's the colors of the cars. That, that could, I'm like, who? I mean, you've got the orange the, and you got McLaren. I've got orange. I've got red. I've got the... Yellow is Renault. Banana yellow. But who... Okay, so we've got that, that tealy blue, which is Mercedes tealy blue yeah i guess yeah it's it's yeah it's, the patronus color i was gonna say because i can't think of another car that's got that tealy blue in it um you got white for williams you got pink for um racing point gray for haas gray for haas who's black is that the missing team the missing team <laughs> <laughs> well okay so like alpha tori oh alpha yeah there War you go well, see, then you're missing a, a, a blue, a Red Bull color. Uh, wouldn't that be one of the reds? Because there's two reds. One would be Alfa Romeo. Oh, that would be the Alfa. I was yeah. thinking they would be the white, but that's the Williams. How many? How many colors are there? 
Is there ten? Because uh, if there's not ten, then I'm I'm out of two, four, six, eight, ten. Okay, so then I'm betting you <clears throat> that every one of those is could could the inner so it starts with red in the center. Could the next one be navy blue and not? Oh, maybe, could be black. I bet you that that's meant to represent every color of the cars. I, I think it's, every team. It, it, it's supposed to be more than just that, but that's part of it. Yeah. Um, but they've started the, the re, We Race as One campaign. You're seeing the logos all around. Um, I don't yet know what is going to come out of that campaign other than um, they're going to launch rainbow branded products intended to raise funds for charity um i don't yeah i mean hopefully this is something i don't know i mean truthfully i think that the best thing that can come out of it is promoting diversity and understanding within motorsports as a whole um not just at the top level i mean the top level is important but in every one of the feeder levels also and you know i made the comment when they did the podium ceremony that because i'm going to jump ahead just because it fits in here um when they did the podium ceremony it was really cool to see that mercedes sent a a woman to do the constructors trophy because traditionally they kind of as the mercedes had won that it was all their top deeper in the season it was deeper in the season that the first woman hit the because they they share it and i get that part but I just thought that was particularly cool. And I, as I read more about the We Races One campaign and the Hamilton uh, project and that type of stuff, I'm betting that is part of the visualization of let's let's make sure that diverse people are seen. Because it's not like, you and I have had this conversation before, it's not like there's not women in motorsport, for example. Yeah. But they aren't seen. And so I think that part of the first steps of this is going to be, let's see these people. That That's going to be some of it. And, you know, I'm going to jump into, because it does tie into this. So several of the teams as part of this have made changes to their livery. Um, we're seeing the, the We Races One logo all over the place. Um, we're seeing the graphic on the halos and some of the other areas. Mercedes went so far as to switch to a black livery instead of the, the traditional silver arrows to, to represent the team that they Mercedes has always done. They've gone with this black livery. Um, again, as an anti-racism message and to promote diversity. And I, I get it. You want to show that you're doing something. But... My problem here, and, and, and they mentioned it in one of the other things, is that if you look at the makeup of the team and you look at the population of the team, and it's it's great that you want to put this message out of diversity and equality and inclusion and all of that, but something like 97% of your, um, employ- your employees are white males. That's not a diverse organization. And I would much rather see, instead of painting the car black, that, again, you took active effort in addressing that and actually improving the diversity in your organization. Right now, as I look at this, this is just lipstick on a pig. (laughs) This isn't solving a problem. 
and and it's the the, the same issue I run into with a lot of these things of oh well we'll do this symbolic thing to address diversity or acknowledge that there's a a diversity issue but in terms of actually taking concrete steps to solve that problem they tend to fall short now maybe mercedes is, is going to change this and and is, is going to listen to lewis and we're going to see more of that happen over the next couple and, and it doesn't even necessarily need to be folks who are i mean yes that helps go and and and, and spread the message that we are diverse and we've got folks that we bring in there. But just that fact of making sure that you're bringing in a diverse workforce and you've got more, I mean, getting into Formula One, the challenge has always been you've got to know somebody. Well, that, that, it's how do you meet those people? Um, But I think one of the things that Hamilton's project could actually do if they focus on it right is this isn't going to get solved overnight Mm -hmm. it's not like they can go into the colleges and universities and go okay everybody that's diverse come interview with formula one and we're going to solve this problem it's got to go deeper than that it means that we've got to fund schools and we've got to fund programs in such a way that you get top candidates that are diverse Mm mm-hmm um, and you, you don't do diversity hires. Right. You, you build, build the workforce. You build it. And you have to do it in such a way that it's not, and it cannot be done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely cannot be done as a handout or yeah. a, a, some sort of piece of, quite frankly, white guilt. It, it's got to be done organically through the, through the, the diverse populations and make it work, but you've got to go deeper than college grads. You got to go yeah. deeper than that. So well, this well, isn't. Well, that, that's that's one of the other things is that to to truly do this the right way, it's not an overnight fix. No, it's it's expanding out F one in schools and those similar things to make sure that you're getting because a lot of times these and, and, and I mean we saw it when we went to the the crappy f1 chicago event there was f1 in schools there was some represent representation there for that program and that was a diverse group of kids who were part of that group the goal is you've got them in that program you need to do things to keep them mm-hmm. engaged and keep them a part of it as they move through high school as they move into college as they move into into postgraduate education, whatever it is, so that you then continue to draw that talent up into your community. Exactly. And But that's not an overnight fix. It's not an overnight <clears throat> fix. Painting a car is an overnight statement. It's a statement. It's it, That's about it. I didn't say it was a fix. I said it was a statement. Yeah. I'm going to let them have, we painted the car as their statement. Now let's see where they follow up with it. Yeah. What are they going to do next? Um, so the other market thing that has happened to send a message was this weekend, and we didn't see it um, in the buildup of the race. And because we're Americans and we don't get full coverage. So what, what I don't fully know, to be, to be honest with you, because I was struggling to get the recording set up in, on our DVRs, I don't know if there was actually a pre-race show mm. because I couldn't find it. 
ESPN may have aired one. I don't know because it looked like there was an awful lot of commercials before we finally jumped in in the middle of the the final pre-race buildup. Okay. So I don't I don't know what happened there. But one of the things that happened on the grid was um, drivers were asked, encouraged, requested, however you want to put it. It was mentioned that some drivers again, to make a statement, would take a knee at the start of the race. They also, and every driver, wore a t-shirt before the race uh, with the message and racism. Mm -hmm. But not all the drivers were willing to take a knee. Um, Six drivers, as a matter of fact, elected not to. I don't have the full list. Um, I do know that Kimi Raikkonen, Charles Leclerc, and Max Verstappen were part of that group. Um, but I also found out why this was not as easy as a decision for the drivers as it appeared. And Daniel Ricardo actually explained it. Uh, he said, you know, th- this isn't a matter of that the folks who chose not to didn't agree with the message or didn't agree with the concept of ending racism and taking a stand. What he said was it's more an issue that the this is an international field of drivers and they all have different cultures and the act of taking a knee means different things in some of these cultures Mm. and there was concern from some drivers as to how that act would be perceived and how it would be received in their home countries and in their cultures because of how that act culturally resonates within their country you know what daniel had said was at the drivers meeting the drivers essentially said that all of us are 100 percent on board with supporting the move and ending racism none none of them are against it they all support it but it's a matter of around the nationality mm. and what the cultures how it would re- would be taken and that was the, that was why several drivers elected not to. Interesting. Yeah, and I think that's fair. You know, th- this is where that started in the U.S. It meant one thing. It's spread to the U.K. and to them, it also means kind of the same thing. But in other cultures, that's not how it works, and th- that's fair. Well, if we are going to embrace diversity. Mm-hmm. We have to embrace all diversity. Exactly. And that that is tough because one of the things that makes this so, so tough and so filled with landmines is what your own background says is okay can be offensive to another background and you never realize it because intent doesn't matter. Yeah. And that's a struggle because we've allowed, permitted the, the roads to diverge so much that just being able to sit down and go, okay, if I do this thing, is it going to tick you off? And what does it mean to you if I do this thing? And once I know that it's not right for you, if I stop doing it, is that okay? I mean, Mm -hmm. those are hard questions to ask when you don't even know what the questions are. Yeah. 
Um, and I have to, I have to grant, I would have never thought of it that way because what we know in the U.S. is this very narrow wedge of the pie. And, and initially when I had heard that six drivers had elected well, you, not to do this, I was like, I don't know, that, that that's not going to go over very well. And, and even when I read the initial statements that they had put on Twitter, that, that two of them had put on Twitter, I'm like, yeah, you're coming off as kind of half-hearted. Mm-hmm. But then seeing this and hearing about the discussions that occurred during the driver's meeting, well, that makes better sense. And, and that I can understand. And I, I, it's, it's getting the bigger picture. What mm-hmm. I don't think the American, the average American, and us included, because you and I had this conversation at lunch today, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that we necessarily realize that Europe is not one culture also. Yeah. Um, and that it's also not just an extension of American culture. Um, and I think that we miss sometimes that American white culture is not the same as European white culture. Because if you think about it, some of the guys that you named are Monagas, mm-hmm. Dutch, uh, no, Dutch, Dutch and Finn. Mm-hmm. Those are not necessarily, you know, those aren't traditionally cultures that you think of as having very vastly different cultural norms than we yep. do. And I just throw that out there. I mean, like, you think about that when you think about some some countries. Oh, well, their cultural norms are different. Mm, their norms may be different, but yet they don't seem like they're as different. Yeah. So. All right. Can we so, move on to something that... Let's talk about teams. Okay. Things going on with the teams. Um, Gunther Steiner has come out and said that Haas um, is not planning on any upgrades to their car this year at least until they have a better understanding of what the season is going to look like you mean like are they going to win anything or like whether or not they're going to continue in f1 because remember what drive to survive said well there's there's that what gunther says is they can't figure out what their budget is going to be for the year until they figure out how many races they're going to be running okay can we just talk about that for a second yeah. Not not about Haas. I'm going to take you off course. That's fine. I'm going to diverge. This is you. worth it. We sat and watched the race today, mm-hmm. and the statement. And I didn't think about it because I, I blissfully ignored the concept. But the statement that got made kind of rocked my world. They don't know how many engines they're going to be allowed this year. Right. So they have no idea if they got to save this one to make it through all eight, or if they're going to have a two, or nine. Mm-hmm. They have no idea how many races they're going to run. So how do you write a budget for that? It would be the equivalent of starting off 2020 and sitting down with a family budget and saying, all right, we got $1,000 in the bank, and we don't know if we're getting any more money coming in. We don't know at all what our expenses might look like, but somehow we have to have a family budget that's going to feed and clothe the family for a year. That, that that's part of the challenge. The other one, and, and, and several teams have pointed this out. Red Bulls pointed it out, and several of the others that you know because they don't know whether it's eight races right now or whether it's ten or twelve or fifteen, they don't even know how many points they need to win 
a championship, a driver need. So it especially and with the way this played out this, this past weekend, there are some teams that could be at a significant disadvantage now because they walked away with nothing, double DNFs, and they may only have 10 races. How well, do you recover from that? Well, and that's the other thing is, okay, eight races makes a season, and we're all like gung-ho, yay, it's going to be a championship season. Fabulous. But in an eight-race season, every point is worth more. Every loss of a point is worth more. There's there's wow. been a lot of talk, and and yeah, a little early on it, but a lot of talk that this season could be Valtteri's best and only chance of winning a championship, because if he's on top of his game for eight to ten races, and Lewis struggles in two or three. Mm-hmm. That's it. He's done. Lewis doesn't have a chance to come back to the back back end of the season like he did last year. And that's the thing is, and okay, not that I've ever been known to give Fernando Alonso a single <laughs> piece of credit, but the statement Alonso made was that nobody has capitalized on the fact that Lewis starts seasons badly. Mm-hmm. He's, ne- he's never out of the gate a top well, winner. last year was pretty yeah, but even Valtteri still won the first race. I mean, mm-hmm. Lewis is Lewis warms up in the season. Yeah. And, of course, Fernando's viewpoint was that he could attack Lewis by getting those early points, that that mm-hmm. would be the way to do this. But that's the thing, is at what point is Lewis going to warm up? Does it, in an eight-race season, if it's not by race two, yeah. this is Valtteri's season. Mm-hmm. If it's, you know, where is he going to warm up in this? And that's a concern. It's a concern as to what that does to the legacy also. You've got you to think that through also. Yeah. This is the year that Lewis would tie Schumacher. But does it tie Schumacher with a giant asterisk because yeah. it was only an eight-race year? Or it was a ten-race year? Or it was this weird year? Does it tie it with an asterisk? And Lewis doesn't deserve an asterisk. But... Neither does Valtteri. Well, no, he doesn't. If he wins, if he wins the championship, I'll cry in my Cheerios. But I'll hope that Lewis comes back again next you year. You are going to be happier if Valtteri wins a championship than you were that Nico won the championship. I was not happy that Nico won the championship, but that's because Valtteri's a nice guy, and Nico was a butt. Nico, Nico was a nice guy. He was a butt. He, he's morphed into Euro trash. Yeah, YouTube Euro trash at that. But <sighs> anyway. Okay, so Haas doesn't know their their budget. Nobody can quite figure this out. I think that this is like the ultimate worst case scenario in that the goal line is shifting, <clears throat> and it's a accepted moving shift moving goal line. Well, no. See, I wouldn't call it because the the true worst case scenario for the teams. Is no season. Is, yeah, is no season. Williams has said that if, if there was no season this year, they would not survive. Ouch. So, and, and, and that that's why they were shedding, they're looking at selling parts of the team, was if there was no season, we could have lost three teams. Easy. Mm. If not more. So, we're not quite at worst case. This isn't a great scenario. I'm hoping that within the next week to two weeks, we'll get a better idea 
Um, I, I'd love it at least if form. I mean, we know that Formula One management is targeting 15 races. That's what they want. We just don't know what's confirmed and what is it. Um, well, I might as well mention it now. Obviously, it was going to be one of our last stories. But Circuit of the Americas says that they're in no rush to make a decision as to whether or not they're going to hold a race. Here, I'm, I'm going to give this prediction now. There's not going to be a race at Circuit of the Americas. It's not happening. You look at the numbers, and Formula One is not going to want to go to Austin. There's no way to isolate to do to follow any of the practices that they need to. They're not going to Austin. Okay. I... I could see a better chance of Formula One going back to Watkins Glen this year. Yeah. And Watkins Glen allows them to be isolated. True. So I see Watkins Glen having a better chance of hosting a race than Austin this year. It would be an interesting year, honestly, like full stop. If as they try to target their 15 races and we, you know, we've, we've talked about Emma and we've talked mm-hmm. about, you know, some of the other racks, but it would be the interesting year of just going down the list of certified tracks that they haven't been to either in a while or yeah. whatever. And just go, this is the year we're going to just throw it up against the wall. And if you can host a race and you're certified, let's figure it out. And they go to these places that they've never been before. Talk about l- field leveling. Because the drivers would have grown up driving that track. Well, so that's not exactly true either, though. Because in for many of these drivers, they have raced these tracks in junior series. Imola and Mugello well, are yes. two tracks that a lot of the junior series go to. That track in Portugal that we talked about two weeks ago is another one that the junior series go to. So, but... Very different cars at very different speeds with different levels of down downforce and all. Then, but still, it would be really interesting. Well, I can assure you, I doubt any of the current <clears throat> racers, maybe Kemi, um, has ever worked, driven Watkins Glen. Yeah, but Watkins Glen also isn't Grade One certified. So okay, well then that just but, pulled yeah. that off the list. Yeah, but yeah, but I'm, I know what you mean. Honestly, the clo- if they were going to look at anywhere that was grade one certified in the U.S., there's one place they could go, and they're not going to go there. Indy. Yep. Mm-hmm. They will not go there. That That is permanently tainted. And my understanding is it never really hosted a great race to begin with. They do have a road course at Indy. I- well, that's, that's what they used to run was the road course. Um, it was the road course with a small stretch on the oval, and it was the stretch on the oval that was breaking the— the tires mm-hmm. so anyway back right. to Haas <laughs> Gunther Steiner says the team has not been sold stop telling people that the team has been sold we don't have a deal Gene still owns it he's not looking for a partner he's not looking to sell the team stop telling people we, that he is knock it off okay Gunther has spoken that's what Gunther says did he did he blank smash anything um no that maybe th- that's the thing if if you keep doing this <laughs> he might he, he might smash i mean gunther's got a mouth yes he does anyway so mclaren mm-hmm. um we we didn't have the show to discuss it but word had come out that 
um, McLaren had things had gotten very desperate over at McLaren. Um, so we knew that they had let go of um, what was it, fifteen hundred folks or twelve hundred folks? They they let go of a lot of folks. I mean, they searched the couches for change. Uh, they searched the couches for change. Um, they were they they put some of, they mortgaged some of the cars. They mortgaged the MTC. Ouch. Yeah. Um, word had come out that if they were not able to raise 280 million pounds by July 17th, there was a risk of insolvency. Mm. Now, that was not officially confirmed by the team. That's what sources were saying. Sources? Sources were saying. However, word came out this week that uh, they have... Uh, established a 150 million pound loan agreement with the National Bank of Bahrain to ease their short-term cash flow problems, which could have impacted the Formula One operation. So they, they appear to be out of immediate trouble. Okay. Now, Andreas Seidel says that this was a short-term issue. There was never any risk that they would not be on the grid next year. Th- this is, it's not what it looks like. There's nothing to see here. The house is not burning fine. <laughs> all of that stuff. Okay. That that's what Andreas Seidel says. Um, teams once again pushed um, both the FIA and Ferrari to release the details of the engine settlement from last year, and Ferrari said no. <laughs> and apparently, unless Ferrari says yes, nobody gets to see it. Interesting. So we don't know what happened there. Out. Yeah. Um. As we saw, the, the, the car is, is not quite up to standards, which seems odd given where they finished this week. Mm-hmm. But the car, at least in qualifying trim, is not up to standards. Yes. Ferrari says that they are going to introduce a full revamp of the car at the Hungarian Grand Prix. Okay. So they're also saying that the problem is, well, at least some of the problem is um, correlation issues between their wind tunnel data and real life stuff. Mm. We've we've heard that excuse before from a lot of teams. I don't know how real it is, but we've heard that. Well, the wind tunnel is not the same as the track. Yeah. Um, now, you know, I mentioned the fact that McLaren was on the podium this week, and you're like, yeah, but 11, you know, only 11 cars finished, and I don't expect them to stay there because of this, that, and the other thing. Ferrari was on the podium, too. And wasn't it Leclerc? Well, you said that Ferrari was on the podium in 11 cars, and then you went Ferrari's on the podium, too. No, I said McLaren. No, you said Ferrari. I said McLaren. No, you thought McLaren. You said Ferrari. <laughs> I said <laughs> McLaren. No, you didn't. <laughs> Rewind the tape. I could, but I'm not going to right now. But I will when I edit the show later. Anyway, <laughs> before we dive down that, that we, we have to talk about Sebastian Vettel and the bombshell that Sebastian Vettel dropped. So as you recall a couple of weeks ago, when we got the word that Sebastian Vettel would not be rejoining the team for 2021, the statements that came from both Sebastian Vettel's I don't, I don't even know if he's got a camp because he, he, he's kind of a lone wolf. I mean, he doesn't have people. We'll go with camp. Okay. From his camp. And the statement that came from Ferrari was that both sides had decided that 
you know, this was a mutual decision and they decided that, that um, it didn't make sense to continue working together. Mm -hmm. It was what they had said. That's not what we're hearing now. In that this might not have been a mutual decision. Oh. So the thought that folks had had was that talks had broken down and that there was rumblings that maybe it was money, maybe it wasn't money, and maybe it was around who was going to be number one and who was going to be number two on a team. All of those guarantees was what it was. Seb came out this week and said, there was no sticking point. It was obviously a surprise to me when I got the call from Mattia when he told me that there was no further intention from the team to continue. We never got into any discussions. There was never an offer on the table, and therefore, there was no sticking point. Oh. Yeah. So negotiations didn't break down. They just never started. Right. Well, that's got to make you feel pretty crappy. So in response to this, you know, people obviously... The, and, and, you know, in, in, in normal world, they would have gone running to Mattia Bonotto mm-hmm. and shoved microphones in his face and said, what's the deal, man? Well, no, you can't do that now. No, you can't go running and shoving. No, apparently what they all did was they pulled up their WhatsApp and, and they, they texted him. They texted him and said, what's going on, man? <laughs> so, obviously, well, first off, Mattia said that Sebastian is not fully happy with the decision to drop him from the team for 2021. What would what would it make him think that they, Sebastian could have been fully happy with getting fired? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I love that. that, that Seb, he, he's not fully happy. Gee, thank you, Captain Obvious. And he's Harry Potter, not Captain Obvious. No, in this case, he's Captain Obvious. So, the, Matteo reiterated that over the winter... Vettel was the first choice. Mm -hmm. He he goes on to say what happened. He said, certainly we have always said to him during the wintertime, privately and publicly, that he would have been our first choice, which I confirm. It's normal that during the wintertime, many drivers ask us if there are any opportunities to drive for Ferrari. So we have certainly been contacted. That didn't change our position. So Seb was our first choice. What happened since then? I think the virus and pandemic situation, which changed the entire world, not only for our motorsport, our F1. The budget cap has been changed by quite a lot, and it is a lot more strict. The regulations have been postponed from 21 to 22, which somehow was something important for us. Cars have been frozen or almost frozen for 2020 and 21. So let's say the entire situation has changed. And on top of that, the season has not started. So there has been no opportunity even for Seb to be back on track to prove how much he was really motivated to drive for Ferrari, which has been somehow unfortunate for him. Somehow unfortunate. I, 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 I. <laughs> Translation. It's, it's translated from the original Italian. So he went on. So during the shutdown as Ferrari, we had to eventually reconsider our position. We took a decision, so certainly that was our decision. That is our responsibility, and we communicated to him. I heard that he was surprised. I remember that he was surprised. Yes, certainly. I understand it. It's pretty normal to be surprised. While he accepted (laughs) our decision, I would say even today he's not fully happy with it, which again, I would say is something which is normal and obvious. 
Okay. Now, in that whole word salad there. <laughs> I was going to translate that. What I think he was saying was, so we we had to stop everything, which meant Seb couldn't drive and show us that, that he still had talent. And he's really expensive. And there was this budget cap that came. So we looked for an opportunity to dump his salary. Is what I think he's saying, but I don't know. <laughs> um, I was going to say, I think that you missed one piece of that. Did I? Yes. Going into the winter before the coronavirus. We liked him. We liked him, but we weren't really sure of him. <laughs> we took calls from other drivers who were inquiring if there might be an opportunity. Because we're Ferrari and everybody wants to drive for Ferrari. So we'll talk to everybody. We'll talk to you. Including Lance Stroll. We'll talk. (laughs) At what point, at some point, coronavirus hits, we suddenly realize that, oh my word, we're actually serious with this cost cap. And, you know, SEP's really expensive. And, oh, by the way, everything that's happening this year is going to cost us a lot of money because SEP is really expensive and our revenues are going to be down. Didn't I just say that? What? Didn't I just say that? I'm trying to translate you. Uh-huh. And Carlos Sainz people picked up the phone just as they were running the numbers and said, I got a really inexpensive driver here that's pretty darn good. So based on that, th- does it make sense then it was, we have really good driver in Carlos Sainz who wants to come drive for us. We have really good driver in Daniel Ricardo who wants to drive for us. But Carlos Sainz is cheaper. I'm betting. <clears throat> I'm betting. All right. So Renault, no engine upgrades throughout this year. Ouch. So that's bad, not just for Renault, but remember they have one customer. And that would be McLaren. Right. But that's good because it's the last year with them. (laughs) Hey, they got on the podium. They did. We'll get to that. Also, you know, they, they've got a driver vacancy for 2021. Cyril Abitbull has come out and he has said that Renault is talking to big names. Yeah, I question the big names. Big names. The biggest names. Top people. I, I just want to know, is he talking about, you know, status in Formula One or if he's talking about length of name? So before you jump to the conclusion of, oh, Big name. So Sebastian Bell, they got to be talking to Seb because he's Fernando the Alonso. biggest name. Well, in terms in terms of drivers on the grid, he's the biggest name that they could go talk to. But Seb says, no, I haven't spoken to anybody yet. I haven't made a decision what I'm going to do yet. Okay, but how much of that is <clears throat> Seb, who doesn't just play his cards so close to his chest, his cards are inside his race suit? There's that. I don't know. I, I, I've heard, so yes, Fernando Alonso has been linked to the seat. Mm-hmm. Fernando Alonso has laughed off the possibility that he would be returning to Renault. Interesting. Whether that's the, ah, ha, 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 good guess. Or if it's the, ah, ha, 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 no way in hell. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but supposedly he has laughed that off. Supposedly? Yeah. I don't know. Top people. 
They're talking big, to big names. Big names. I'm telling you, I think it's length of name. Could be. I think if you want to get spoilers, you go to F2 and figure out who's got the longest name. That, that could be. I'm just saying I have a really long name. I could drive for Rena. Good luck with that. Hey, I have as many championship points as George Russell does. Ow. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> you know, at least tag Nick Latifi. Well, yeah, but he's brand spanking new. I mean, if you really want to get into it, and this is really kind of scary, Lance Stroll has more points than you. Well, yes, that's why I didn't use him in my example. <laughs> I can tell you this. I have finished the same number of F1 races in 2020 as George Russell has, too. Ow. Ow. Oh, and while we're talking big names, I finished the same number of Formula One races as Max Verstappen this year. Roman Grosjean. <laughs> Kevin Magnuson. Yeah. Um, Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just... Big names. My name is rather long. Just suggesting. Rules. We have rules. I don't believe in rules. Anyway. So, um, we knew that there were going to be parts that were going to get frozen throughout the year. And I'm not going to go into the details of what parts are frozen. Um, but they've given a little bit more information as to how the, the freeze is going to work. Because, you know, as we mentioned, Ferrari's going to be revamping the car for Hungary. Renault could bring a new engine, but they're not going to. Mercedes has brought some updates. We're seeing updates roll out, and you're like, well, wait a minute, we're supposed to be frozen. So what they're doing, and you'd have to look in Appendix 22 of the technical regulations. I have um, that sitting right next to me right now. So then you know exactly which parts are frozen. Anyway. I, I do, but I'm not going to bore our audience with okay. all of the parts that are frozen. So we have a list of components that are frozen from the first race of the season, which is known as the R2020 period, or the R20, R1, excuse me, the R1 2020 list. Mm -hmm. Then there are other parts that are going to be frozen starting at the a second point of the season, known as the mid-2020. Mm. So even though we do not know how long the, the season will be, and we don't know where it's going to shake out. Or where the midpoint's going to be. Well, they have set a date for the mid-freeze. Okay. World Motorsport Council uh, fixed that date as September 30th. Um, they've also set deadlines um, for the teams to notify the FIA of when they're going to deploy their tokens, and that has to be by July 22nd. Okay. So you have to tell the FIA when you're planning on rolling out your upgrades. Even though you don't know how long the season's going to be, you've got three weeks. All righty. Go for it. So, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that works. Mm-hmm. Budgeting blind. So the the DAS system, and I'm not going to do play the games that the Sky Sports folks have been doing of the DAS and... Oh, I'm, I'm not doing that. They're they're trying to figure out what to call it. Well, no, it's the DAS is good and all that. Those oh. turns. I'm, I'm not doing that. You just did. It's because you made me. <laughs> you forced it out of me. Anyway, so first race 
as expected, although originally we were expecting this in Australia as opposed to Austria. (laughs) (laughs) Getting it right. But as expected, at the first race of the season, Mercedes' DAS system was protested. By Red Bull. Red Bull brought the protest forward. And it sounds like that this is one of these hmm, we're thinking that we're going to do this, but we don't want to do it unless we send out the clarification memo as to whether or not we're actually going to be allowed to get away with it, even though you told us it was legal already. So we want to get the second double check that we're going to get away with this before we roll it out in our own systems. Because mm-hmm. Christian, Christian Horner told Sky Sports during free practice one that maybe they might have that. You'll just have to draw that conclusion on your own. Interesting. Yeah, it was, it, it was an interesting comment that Christian made. However, they lodged their protest, and, and, and this is the bizarreness of the whole rulemaking and protest system that Formula One has. Yes, the FIA looked at the, this last year and said it was legal. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the final decision as to whether or not it was in compliance and could be run isn't made by the FIA. It's made at the race by the stewards. So the protest that was submitted was submitted to the race stewards in Austria to make the ruling. Okay. And they ruled that it was legal. Yay. So they have upheld that. We'll see what happens going forward. Now, what we did not see protesting, and and it looked like that was going to come down to, is... The baby Mercedes of the Force India. The baby Mercedes. And I'm kind of wondering if the reason why nobody protested is they wanted to see how Force India did this weekend. And it may be next weekend. Somebody somebody may kick off that protest. I don't know. It'd be interesting. I, I still go back to the, you know, you can take pictures just as well as everybody else. We, we've seen this copying before. As long as Mercedes isn't supplying them with parts, we have no reason to believe that Mercedes is supplying them with restricted parts. They can do whatever they want. Exactly. So I don't know. I mean, just because they stood up and said we based it on their design, I mean, come on. So the FIA has set up a new panel for to review rule controversies. I don't know why it didn't appear to be used this week. I, I don't know. But the FIA said that they've got a new panel to adjudicate this stuff. It just doesn't sound like they're using it. Figure that one out. Okay. Okay. So teams went to Austria. First of two races. Just a reminder, this week is the Austrian Grand Prix, but next week is not an Austrian Grand Prix. No, it's something. It's the Styrian Grand Prix because not Syrian. Styrian with a T because they're in the Styrian Mountains. Yes. It's Styria is the region of Austria that they are in. Right, but they have to have a different name for all of the races, even though it's the same location. Austrian Grand Prix 2. Not. So good we had to do it again. Yeah, then how would they handle the (laughs) Silverstone Part 2? That's the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. Yes. Look, it's the weirdest season. Do over, man. Do over. (laughs) It's the weirdest (laughs) season ever. So anyway, we've got more information on the protocols that are being followed this weekend. So obviously, if you watched the race, you saw the the podium ceremony changed. And no surprise that the races are being held behind closed doors. 
Um, as we mentioned, they are essentially in isolation, not just from the general public, though, but the way this is supposed to work is the teams are supposed to be in isolation from each other. Right. It's like a bubble within a bubble is what I've, essentially. I've come yeah. to surmise. So the teams aren't supposed to be socializing with, outside of their teams. Um, but that doesn't mean that there can't be social distancing and, you know, maybe one mechanic challenging another team's mechanic to a dance off. As long as they're socially distanced, it's cool. Okay. Just saying. Um, but closed door teams are operating with reduced personnel. Um, they're only allowed to have 80 personnel at the track. Mm-hmm. Um, to some extent, that's easy for them to do because they don't have the motor homes. And they don't need the motor homes because you have no fans and no high rollers and no sponsors to entertain at the motorhomes. So all of the marketing and hospitality staff that you bring as part of that, you don't have. Savings. So there's that. Um, obviously, everyone is supposed to be wearing face masks. Um, press members do not get access to the paddock nor the pits. Um, interviews are being conducted with full social distancing put in place. Um, the Thursday press availability, um, these were done remotely. Like via Zoom? Essentially, yeah. Um, The various press folks were in separate locations or socially distanced in the media center. Um, And they may not have even been taken in the media center, but they don't get direct access to it. So, you know, it used to be that you'd take three drivers, stick them in a room, put them in front of a scrum of reporters, and and do round tables. They're not doing that now. It's individual availabilities. They're remote in a separate room. The drivers are not mixing with each other, that kind of a thing. Wow. Apparently, I hear also that the the press is not allowed into the the team's hospitality units to to get food there. They have to get trackside food, so box oh. lunches. Oh wow! It's not not quite as good. Um, the seating areas at the communal dining for um, the track personnel and, and folks like that. It, it's tables of one. Oh my! Socially distant. Yeah, they've said it, it's a lot quieter in the press room. It is not as boisterous. It's not as open. Um, but it's working. I was very amused because we did watch free practice something mm-hmm. just because we've been so missing it. I mean, that's not one of the things that we normally watch. And they were talking about the fact that they're not allowed into the reporters aren't allowed into the pits and that so they are actually in the stands with a spike yes. with a <laughs> he calls it his pirate spyglass. Ted, Ted Kravitz and, and, and his pirate spyglass <laughs> in the stands. Yes, <laughs> I was very amused by that. But it was kind of nice to have the reporters have to have the fan experience. Yes, yeah. yeah. Like okay, now try to try to figure out what's going on when you can't get up close and personal. So a side effect of the teams having fewer personnel at the track. Um, the normal curfews around how late teams are supposed to work, and, and those are being shortened. Mm-hmm. They're an hour shorter. Um, and a lot of that is because um, since the teams have to wear PPE, they can have fewer mechanics in the garage. It takes longer to do stuff. Right. Um, so the shorter curfew is to allow the team some extra time to work, knowing that it's going to take longer to do stuff. Um, also... You know, we're, we're used to teams, what is it, 13 weeks in advance for a flyaway race, selecting <laughs> their tires for the weekend. Yes. No choices. No choices. Um, this was one that was odd to me. 
it was like, why, what is, it, other than a cost savings from the Cost stand- savings was part of it, but, but the other is because they're still trying to sort out the calendar. Mm. Um, and and, and some predict. of it, some of it is they can't predict. Some of it is that, you know, there is now a, a strong potential that Formula One will go to tracks that form, either Formula One has not been at before or has not been to in 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. So data around what those tracks are like and where is minimal at best. Okay, good um, point. So as a result, teams are losing their tire choices. Um, however, it's a standard allocation now. Each driver gets two sets of hard, three of mediums, and eight softs. Okay. Um, and I guess and the way it works now is Pirelli drops off the tires for the team in a set location and then like calls the team and says, hey, come get your tires. They, Because Pirelli leaves the tires. They go, they pick up the phone, call the team, say, hey, come get your tires. The team comes out, grabs the tires, goes back to the garage, and then Pirelli goes and drops off the tires for the next team and goes back to their offices. Hey, come get your tires. <laughs> Lather, rinse, repeat. Oh, my word. Yeah. So all of the briefings, um, whether that's the driver's briefings and other stuff, all via teleconference. Okay. All that stuff that way. Um, they've also apparently, and I don't know how this is going to work, but they've also allowed for any um, travel issues that stewards may face in getting to a race um, by allowing, if necessary, for them to be remote as well. Interesting. I got to wonder how that's going to work. Well, you got to wonder what data. Do, I mean, because you cannot sit at a race. We've gone to many of them. You cannot mm-hmm. sit at a race and see every corner, every right. piece. So if a steward has the access to all of the world feed and the ability to rewind and look at all well, the different... It's more than just the world feed. Oh, but, and all of the, the track camera angles mm-hmm. and the telemetry and all of that, you could probably do that job from anywhere. You, you could, but, but that's my question, though, is in order to allow for that, I mean, you got to think that this is not... In, in order to, to get access to that data and review that stuff and see what's happening in race control, that they're not just looking at a laptop mm-hmm. that there are multiple displays there's multiple data feeds and things of that and how they pipe especially potentially with a last minute issue how you pipe that data to the remote location to accommodate the steward that'll be interesting to see how they work interesting so not a surprise here there's no driver's parade I mean, really that why why do that um, but when it comes to the, the grid procedure and how that's going to work. Um, so first of all, teams are only allowed to have 40 people on the grid, period. Um, since they, you're not going to have the usual pre-race ceremonies, the pit exit closes 20 minutes before the start, where it used to close 30 minutes before the start. Cars need to have their tires fitted five minutes before the start instead of three minutes before the start. And at the five-minute signal, team personnel and equipment trolleys must commence leaving the grid. There's a new rule that states that when a three-minute signal is shown, not more than 16 personnel for each competitor are permitted on the grid, and the remaining crew members will have to leave before the 15-second signal, which is what it was before. So that's not unusual. The new five-minute tire fitting rule also applies to race resumptions. However, 
if a risk analysis determines that having all teams on the grid in the buildup to the race risks too much contact between personnel, then a completely different approach could be taken and a grid buildup abandoned completely. Now, what they've said is a possible solution here would be for the cars to go straight from their garages to the race start. Mm. Yeah. The document says it could be considered to remove the grid procedure from the event schedule and start the formation lap from the garages. Now, as we've also seen, no podium, or at least not a traditional podium. Little baby podiums. Baby podiums. How did you describe it? It looked like uh, the podiums at Mid-Ohio in the Junior Series. Yeah. Now, this is where I was a little surprised at how, how, how things played out this weekend. Because hearing that they were the teams were supposed to be in individual bubbles, um, we had spraying of champagne. Not just spraying of champagne, but spraying of champagne after the drivers drank it. Yeah, that was interesting. And there was a bit more social contact there. <laughs> now, in theory, these teams have gone for a week and a half to two weeks, if not potentially longer, of regular checks and certifications for to make sure that that they're still healthy and they're not carrying and they're not infected so in theory the risk here should be pretty minor well that and there has been some studies that says the transmission via food Mm -hmm. is pretty low yeah um i think the study was that if somebody infected coughed on your lettuce you could eat your (laughs) lettuce um so my theory is that of all the things that probably was the one piece of semi-normalcy that they had for a minute, <laughs> um, I was very amused at the post-qualifying when, you know, they had all these little stands with all the stuff that they yeah. had to do. You know, it's a place to put your helmet. They had to do the weigh-in right off the, like, where they parked the cars. They put the scale right next to the car and, like, here, step on this so we can get that done. And here's where your helmet can go, and here's a hat yep. for you. But you know, it's all has to be laid out. For, sorry, it all has to be laid out for them because nobody can hand it to them. Yeah. And then watching Valtteri you have can't to have the physio come down or anything like that. And then watching Valtteri have to figure out how to open his uh, mask, the yeah. pouch for his mask. <laughs> so, all of these requirements have been spelled out and codified in F1's code of conduct. I have that too. All participants are required to sign to acknowledge that they're aware of it. And by the way, the 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 code of conduct is in the International Sporting Code, which is why you have it because I know that you have the the Sporting Code. Right I here. keep the technical regulations and the sporting regulations at my fingertips pretty much all the time because you never know when somebody's going to ask you what's in Appendix Twenty Two of the technical regulations. Yeah. Well. We've already had teams get warned for violating the protocols. Oh. Both Ferrari and Red Bull were issued warnings. What didn't they do? Well, this wasn't really Ferrari's fault. Ferrari's kind of collateral damage here. Okay. It was more what Sebastian Vettel did. What did Mr. Vettel do? So on Friday... Uh, photos and video footage of Sebastian Vettel in close conversation with Christian Horner and Helmut Marco in the Red Bull paddock, in the Red Bull ring paddock, 
were shared. Oh, no, it was Saturday morning. Um, oh, so he was chatting with his old buds. Right. Without a mask. Ah. None of them were wearing masks. So they had been warned because even though the code of conduct is in the International Sporting Code, there is no fine or sporting penalty for any breach. Got it. So, yeah. Stop doing that. Don't do that. And what surprises me is that there has not been the very quick rumors of Seb's looking for a seat and he's talking to Christian and Helmet and Helmet likes Seb a whole lot. Those rumors are coming. Come on, those rumors are coming. Yeah. So the other thing that happened this weekend, protocol-wise, is the marshals have been deployed to different locations around the track than they normally happen. Now, F1 insists that they still have full visibility and it's still safe, but they had to keep every they, they needed to to spread out the marshals and put them in different locations to make sure that they were maintaining social distancing and okay. that. Um, marshals can actually be up to 500 meters away from the electronic flag boards and they work just fine. Okay. So, yeah. The other change that was done at Austria. Because Austria is known to be a little rough on cars, mm -hmm. thanks to the curbs, mm -hmm. some curbs were removed. Now, these were, my understanding is, these were the yellow sausage curbs that were removed. The ones that were particularly devastating to cars. Well, the, the ones that, that can break wings. Right. Those were removed because, you know, teams are running short on spares. I don't quite understand why. They've had four months to build, like, 18 okay. cars. But they but don't <laughs> know how many races they're going to have yeah, this year. They don't year. know how many spares they need. They don't they're... have a clue how many spares <laughs> they're going to need. But also keep in mind that the other piece of this is they're racing at this same track next week. Right. And so they only brought so much to the track. So I can understand why we didn't want to try to kill the car this week in hopes that it wouldn't become recoverable well, next week. Well, the thing is, they took the worst offending car breaker away. Mm-hmm. But there's still car breakers at this track, like all of the red and white curbs. Well, yeah. Stay off the curbs. Stay off. The, yes, the red and white ones are the curbs, too. And, and I, you know, years ago, I think it was the first or the, yeah, it was the first or the second race at Coda. When you, you knew when the cars were hitting the curbs because you could hear it in the broadcast. Mm -hmm. I like that. It's one of the things I like about this track is that you know that the cars are hitting those curves. Yeah. You can hear it. it it's it's cool. I like that. There was a but camera. Breaking stuff. Yeah. There was a camera angle of one of the cars. I think it was a camera like on the wing, on the front wing or something, that when he was hitting the curbs and it was, you could watch the whole thing was going <laughs> bouncing up and down. Yeah. It was like, get off the curb. I think that was Lewis's car too. And I was like, get off the curb. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, they, they were removed the, the worst offenders, but there's still issues there with them breaking cars, and they needed to stay. Yeah. I think I think that's really good. Well, we still had nine cars not finish this race, so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, 
We have a race. Yes. Lando Norris, third place. Yes. Really cool. No. You don't think so? No. I like Lando. I like Lando a lot. But he shouldn't have had third place. Well, no, you're only upset because Lewis got his penalty. Yes, I'm very upset about his penalty. And I'm not entirely sure I agree with it. Uh, I don't know. Okay, how about this? I'm not happy that Lewis got two penalties. I I think you have a reason to not be happy with with the fact that Lewis got penalties. I'm not sure those penalties weren't deserved. Okay. I, I, I think his driving standards, well, maybe the yellow flag issue at qualifying, which, by the way, initially the, the ruling came down that um, there was no penalty, mm-hmm. and that he was not in violation. It was when later footage came out that apparently the different angle, Red Bull, Red Bull. Red Bull. Red Bull. Filed a protest. And that's what led to to the penalty for Saturday. The and penalty, the thing is, if he hadn't had that penalty on Saturday, he wouldn't be where he was. He wouldn't have hit Albon because he would have been either right behind Botas or right in front of Botas for the entire race. No, I disagree. Because if he didn't pass Botas, he would have been exactly where he was in second place for Albin to... Okay, fine. That that situation would have happened, penalty or no penalty, on Saturday. He might have gotten up there faster. He might have had a better chance of catching Valtteri earlier. That, He wouldn't have scrubbed his tire so much getting from fifth to second. How about that? Okay, that's a possibility. We wouldn't have set up that same situation. But you know what? It led for some good racing there. The The, the situation with Albin, though, I'm not... I, I, I don't think that that was necessarily an unjust penalty. Mm. I mean, Albin was pretty far out there when Lewis came over. And I'm not sure Lewis really could turn around and say, oh, I didn't see him there. I mean, he he was pretty far over. He was on the racing line. But but I think in terms of the upset because Lewis's driving standards are not there, that I could see being fair. And I have to wonder, and, and I know it's not quite the same doing the e-racing, but I have to wonder, did Lewis spend time in the simulator like some of the other drivers? Did Lewis do some of the other things in the off-season to keep his driving skills sharp. I don't know. Now, yes. Had Lando actually gotten third place because, not because of people getting penalties around him, but because he got it, I'd be super proud of him. And you're not the least bit bothered that part of the reason why he got that third place is because Checo got a penalty. Because you don't like him. I'm not a, I've never been a Checo fan. So, my, my big issue with the McLaren podium. And yes, it's awesome that they got it and they deserved it. I don't think folks should read too much into that podium. This is not a McLaren's back moment and McLaren's challenging (laughs) for the top three moment. This is a, when everything else went to crap, 
McLaren was still running. Yeah. And yes, I get it. Lando pulled fastest lap at, at, at the end. There is some speed in that car. But the reality was, if you didn't lose Max and you didn't lose Albin, he would have been back in fifth. Mm-hmm. So, and, and arguably, depending on some of the other failures that happened, realistically, he might have been back in seventh. And, and, and that's, yes, it's great that they're on the podium, but I wouldn't take it as an indication that the team has turned themselves around. I will say this, though. For just this brief moment, right now, and probably for the next seven days, so they can all enjoy it, while Mercedes is winning the Constructors Series because they've got the most points right now, number two is McLaren. Yeah. So from that standpoint, and you and I both know, part of F1 is capitalizing on you know, the situation so, as it unfolds. Yep. They did that. Yeah. And they did it better than the little red cars. Because. And they did it better than the Red Bulls. Yes. But certainly the little red cars. Because come the end of the season, if it plays out the way it just did here, Zach Brown's going to have four words. Told you so. We beat Red Bull. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Valtteri Bottas, um, Mercedes was very concerned about these engines. They apparently, well, actually not the engines, but the gearbox um, started with uh, Valtteri's car and was certainly worse on Valtteri's car. But Lewis's car was having the same problem. Mm-hmm. And it was looking like this was a, quote, instant kill issue if it had Ooh. finally let go. Um, so it was a lot tighter for the Mercedes than it looked. There was a high pucker factor in the garage, you're saying? Very much. So other info, um, Alfa Romeo was fined 5,000 euros for Kimi's wheel detaching following the pit stop on lap 54. That was spectacular. It was, but it's not supposed to work that way. No. Wheels are not supposed to go flying off anymore. Well, but it wasn't a tether issue because it wasn't a suspension problem. It was the wheel came off. Well, it was a tether issue. But the wheel came off the hub. So a post-race investigation by the FIA um, concluded that the wheel was cross-threaded during his pit stop. Um, Which, when that happened, because the wheel was not secure, and and this was related to the pit stop, technically this was an unsafe release. Mm-hmm. However, because the team did not, there was no way for the team to know, it kind of wasn't. So, according to the FIA, the stewards had heard, excuse me, the stewards heard from the technical representative and reviewed video and technical evidence provided by the FIA technical delegate as well as telemetry from the team. Having examined photos of the damaged wheel and the axle shaft, it is evident that the wheel nut of the right hand side front wheel got cross threaded during the wheel change which was not identified by the wheel gun operator. As a consequence, the right front wheel went off when the car was back in the race. The stewards accept, however, that neither the team nor the driver had the opportunity to realize that the car was in an unsafe condition and therefore did not stop the car. Taking into account these circumstances, a fine of 5,000 euros is appropriate. Okay. So, by the way, Albin thinks that he could have won the race. 
He thinks that Hamilton stole him the possible win. I don't think so. It's not stealing. It's a racing incident. It's not really a racing incident. But anyway, so here's my question for you. We've had the first race of the season. We've had the new graphics package mm-hmm. released. What would you think? For the most part, I really liked it. I really liked the enhanced Halo view. Yeah, that that was a good way to put it. Um, to, to, to well, good way to put those bits of information mm-hmm. and display that between the the rear view. Um, we'll see how useful that is when there's actually cars there. That'll be nice. But the rear view, the rear view is nice, and some of the other specs being overlaid in the halo is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some folks expressed some concern that we could be about to get a much busier screen and harder to watch. I don't think we're there yet. And I don't think that we've seen all that they can tell us. I mean, they they had illustrated being able to do side-by-sides of, of showing who is faster in corners. That we haven't seen yet. Right. I don't know if we're going to. This is obviously still a work in progress. So we'll see where it, it plays out. I, I mean, they've done, I, I will say, F1 has done some really cool things with enhancing the graphics. There's specific things that I have really enjoyed, like, you know, lap to overtake, the difficulties of overtaking. That type of information is cool information. And Bernie Eccleston says that, you know, you'll be happy I give you radios and pictures from the cars. Mm-hmm. And you'll like it. Yeah. Again... No longer part of the sport. (laughs) Bernie who? So finally, we have a reminder, specifically for our friends in the UK, because we're not in the UK. We're supposed to be, but we're not. Um, But a reminder for our friends in the UK from the Northamptonshire police, who are reminding fans that if they were thinking, as much as the races in Silverstone are... It's already been put out there, are being run without fans. They are reminding fans, do not show up at the track. Even though, yes, you can stand at the fence and peer in. Not only will we not let you in, but if you show up at the track and then the crowds are too big showing up at the track that are not allowed in, we may cancel the race. (laughs) Don't go to the track. The Northamptonshire police want you to know that. We want you to know that if you cancel the race on us, we will be very upset. Yes. And on that, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.